Father, we just want to praise your name. You are so great. We are so honored to be in your presence this morning. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our ears to hear you, God. Thank you so much for loving us. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome to Northridge. So glad that you guys are here. Apparently, we had an extra hour of sleep last night or something. I mean, you guys, I heard you singing. You're all here, and we've uh, added chairs. So this is, I'm just really excited, and and, um, just wanted to say, I know some of you, it's your first time here this morning to Northridge, and I just want you to know that, we want you to know a couple of things. One, we, we hope that you feel right at home here immediately. And I mean right away, that this feels like home. Uh, and, and then two, we want you to know that this is a safe place, a safe place for you to explore your faith in God, explore wherever you're at in your journey with God. Or if you've never started a journey with God, if you're, you're not sure where you stand with God or, or if you believe in God, that this is a safe place for you to ask those questions about God and ask us about our faith and, and what we believe in. Uh, this is a safe place for that. We want you guys to know that right away. Um, Today is a really cool day because we get to start a brand new sermon series today. We are talking about running with the giants, running with the giants. And so for the next four weeks, what we're going to do is for the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at giants of faith in the Bible. The Bible talks about a lot of people who just, they live their life to the highest degree, to the nth degree for Jesus and putting Jesus at the center of their life and just consuming, allowing everything to be consumed by that. Their faith was incredible. It was great. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at giants of faith out of the Bible. And, uh, and have you noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, we tend to, when we come upon people who are, uh, we, we tend to notice people when they arrive in life. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that we take notice of people when they do something incredible, like really great, or they become famous, or, for example, if somebody starts a company, we don't know about them when they're first starting out. We don't know about them when they're putting in the, the long hours and the hard work, and we don't know when their company's growing, but we notice them when. When do we notice them? When they become a Fortune 100 or a Fortune 500 company. Don't we? That's when we notice them. We, we see that. We take notice. All of a sudden, we see their face on a magazine. All of a sudden, we're reading their books. And all of a sudden, we're going to their seminars because they have a Fortune 500 company now. You know, t- 10 years ago, they were just starting out. But now, we can take notice. They are something now. You know, we take notice of people that way. For example, anybody know this guy? Anybody know who that guy is? Most people recognize his face because he's fairly well known, even though he has passed on now. This is Steve Jobs, right? This is the co-founder, former co-founder and, uh, and CEO, the guy who ran Apple. I think few people have heard of Apple. It's done fairly decent uh, in, in, in history. And so, yeah, this is the guy. But did you know, and a lot of people do know this guy's backstory. A lot of times we don't know their backstory. Steve Jobs, most people do, but he started in a garage, I don't know, most people have heard that, but he started in a garage. He had tons of barriers, tons of problems that he had to work through before we ever even heard his name. I mean, when he was a nobody, nobody even knew he existed. He was plugging away in a garage, and eventually he worked himself up, and now everybody knows him. In fact, most of the planet has one of his devices either in their pocket or in their home. He's done okay. 
All right, and so we know them then, but we don't know the backstory. Anybody know this next guy? This guy's not quite as recognizable, but you probably know the icon in the background. All right, so you may not know him, but I think you know what's behind him. That's Starbucks. This guy's name is Howard Schultz. He is the CEO of uh, Starbucks and the owner of Starbucks. But what you may not know is that Starbucks actually started as a very small company, and all they did, they didn't sell coffee. You know what they sold? They sold coffee beans. That's all they did. They just sold the beans. And it was known as Starbucks. And it was three former college students who came together to start this company. And Howard Schultz worked for them. (laughs) He was an employee of Starbucks when they just sold coffee beans. And eventually he went off and did something else. And then he eventually came back and he decided to buy Starbucks. And uh, and he bought it. And then by the time he had bought it and grown this thing, and of course we know now there's a Starbucks virtually on every corner, everywhere you go. He's done pretty well. But we didn't know all the struggles and the barriers that he had to go through early on. Okay, last guy. I want to show you this picture. You might know this guy. Uh, Anybody know who that guy is? Yeah, Colonel Harlan Sanders. Have you seen the new commercials from this guy? And they have the new actor playing him. That's pretty funny, actually. He's like, I am Colonel Sanders, you know, and I can't do the voice. But that's what he does. And more, more obviously, we know him this way. If you put it up, there you go. That's how everybody's like, oh, yeah, that guy, KFC, right? Well, this guy, a lot of people don't know that he actually, his first few jobs, he couldn't find jobs. He wasn't doing well. And Colonel Sanders, he actually worked at a gas station for years. And the first time that he started selling chicken was he actually sold chicken for the gas station in return for having free rent to live at the gas station. That's what he did. He sold his chicken for, on behalf of the gas station, and in return, he got free rent. He had a lot of barriers, a lot of problems, but we don't know that, do we? All we know is he made a lot of money, and he's really good at business because KFC is huge. That's what we know of them, but we don't know the backstory. Well, here's the reason I bring that up. The reason I bring that up is because the guy that we're going to look at today, and by the way, if you like to follow along, go ahead and get your Bibles out, get your phones out, one of those Apple products out, and, uh, and find the Bible app and go on there. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, all right? But let me just set this up. The guy that we're going to talk about today is Moses. Most of you probably heard the name Moses, right? When you think of Moses, we probably think of things like the parting of the Red Sea, right? We might think of the Ten Commandments, you might think of, um, like, this is what I thought of because this is just me, but you might think of Charlton Heston, right? This is the picture I get. When I think of Moses, I think of Charlton Heston and a burly, hairy chest, right? And let my people go, you know? That's what I think of, of Moses, you know? Huge beard and, like, manly man and, like, intimidating. That's what I think of, of Moses, right? I don't know if you... Or if you a little bit more modern and you're like, who's that guy? Because <laughs> some of you are like, who's that? This is Christian Bale. He's kind of the new modern Moses. Again, he's, he's the epitome of tough, right? I mean, tough man's man. He's going to take everybody down. I'm going to command and I'm going to challenge the most powerful man on the, on the planet, the Pharaoh of Egypt. I'm going to take him down. Christian Bale, Moses. Yeah. All right. He looks a little bit better than the whole big white flowing beard. But anyway, whatever you got, but whatever you think of Moses, what we don't know, like some of these other guys that I just mentioned is we don't know the backstory a lot of times to Moses. What we don't know is Moses was a giant of faith, absolutely. 
He's one of the greatest people. And his relationship with God is one of the greatest relationships with God that's ever recorded anywhere, including in the Bible, but anywhere. He is a giant of faith. But he didn't start that way. Moses started with little to no faith at all. I mean, zero relationship with God. He did. That's how he started. And eventually he became this giant of faith. So what I want to focus on today, we're not going to focus on the parting of the Red Sea. We're not going to focus on the chariots. We're not going to focus on the Ten Commandments. We're going to focus on the backstory of Moses today. Something that very few people get. It's when he started his life of faith. And so let me set up the story real quick. Moses grew up in the country of Egypt, in the nation of Egypt. He grew up that way. Uh, He was actually raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. So he was actually raised as a prince of Egypt. I'm not going to go into the backstory of that. That's like the backstory to the backstory. If we did that, we wouldn't get lunch done and all that stuff. So we're going to leave that backstory. But he was raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. So he's raised as a prince of Egypt. So understand that Moses was raised to look like an Egyptian act like an Egyptian, walk like an Egyptian. I had to say it. I feel like we should play an 80s song right now. Just roll it. (laughs) All right. But, but he was taught to do this. He was taught to do this. And so Moses was taught about Ra and all the hundreds and hundreds of deities that the Egyptians had and to worship cats and all this other stuff that we know from hieroglyphics. He was taught all that stuff. Because he was taught as a prince of Egypt. But Moses also knew that he was a Hebrew. He was an Israelite by ethnicity. He was not an Egyptian ethnically. He was taught all the Egyptian things, but he was Hebrew by ethnicity. That's the family that he's born into, even though he's raised by an Egyptian family. And so Moses would go around and and he would walk among these, these things. And he's 40 years old now. I want you to think. So that's how he grew up. And he's 40 years old. Moses is 40 years old. And he's walking among his people, the Hebrews. And, and while he's walking, he sees one of the Hebrews. And you have to understand what the Israelites were. In Egypt at this time, they were slave labor. Okay? We think that there were anywhere from 600,000 to a million Israelites that lived in Egypt during this time of history. Okay? This is way back. All right? And so what we know is the Israelites were slave labor. They were, they, were, they were actually treated, bought, and sold as slaves. They were just slave labor. And they were ones, ones of, uh, the group of people that actually helped build some of the stuff that we know of in Egypt today. The Israelite slaves built that. Okay? And so Moses is walking among his people because even though he dresses and looks like an Egyptian, learns their religion, he is a Hebrew. And so he identifies with his own people. So he's walking among them and he sees an Egyptian slave master one day beating and about to kill an Israelite. And so Moses, being uh, a little bit stronger than maybe what we do think, he steps in and tries to confront this Egyptian. And as a result of that, things go a little haywire and he ends up killing the Egyptian. He ends up committing murder. Well, as a result, Moses has to run. He has to get out of Egypt. He has to flee. And so he flees to this land called Midian. And he gets to Midian. And, uh, and we fast forward into all this stuff. And, and when he gets to Midian, he ends up living there for 40 years. And in that 40-year span, I'm covering a lot of history in like five minutes here. I get it. Okay, bear with me. Okay? And he gets in there and he gets to the land of Midian. And he gets married to a gal named Zipporah. Talk about a great name. All right? And he has a son... And he becomes a shepherd. 
So for 40 years, from the age of 40 until the age of 80, he is a shepherd. And he marries and he has a son. He, he settles down in the land of Midian. He becomes really the most comfortable, greatest life because it was not the greatest job, but it was a good job and it was a comfortable life for Moses. But then he turns 80 years old. And Moses, his life is going to dramatically change because God's going to show up in front of Moses in a dramatic way. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. So that's your backstory. But here's the next backstory, what led him to his giant of faith status. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. He's 80 years old and he's tending the flock. Let's go there. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. I would go see that too. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Maybe it was Moses, Moses. I don't know, but either way, God called to him from the bush. And Moses says, here I am. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. See, God's letting him know, I am the God that you haven't heard about maybe yet. You've learned all the Egyptian stuff. Now, this is the God of your people, the one true God. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look. At God, Moses knew that he knew enough about the Hebrew people and what they what they believed about God that if he saw God face to face, he was not going to make it. That was just well known in Hebrew culture. You did not, if God showed up face to face, like in physical formers right there, you did not look at God because you would not be able. Not because God's so mean, but because God is so awesome. Can you imagine not being able to look at something because it's that awesome? That's how Moses is right now. He's face to face with God and he knows it. And so he covers his face. So now at this point, I want to stop there for a minute and just kind of give you the in-between stuff that happens here. God and Moses start to have a conversation and we're going to focus on this conversation today. But God essentially goes on to tell Moses now at this point, he says, Moses, I have picked you to go back to Egypt and to free the entire nation of Israel from slavery. That must have been quite the bomb drop for Moses. Yeah, I know you're, you're wanted as a murderer back there. I, I get that. Okay, but I need you to go back to Egypt. And I know you've been gone for like 40 years, but I need you to go back there. I need you to challenge the most powerful man on the planet, the Pharaoh, who they also worship as a god, by the way. And, and I need you to tell him that he has to let the Israelites go. And, and by the way, I'll make it happen. Trust me. And Moses is like, are you kidding me? Really? This is what you're asking? And I'm the guy you're asking? I don't even know who you are. I mean, he has no relationship with God at this point. And so all of a sudden, God has jumped into Moses' life and he's asked him and says, I need you to leave everything you know, your life, and I need you to do this. This is what I'm calling you to do. You are the guy. You are the one to do this. (laughs) 
And Moses now has to make a choice. This is his crisis of faith. He is, okay, on one hand, I can just ignore that this happened and just go back and watch my sheep. That's easy. I know what I'm doing. My job is safe. It's comfortable. It makes sense. I have a wife. I have a son. This makes sense. Or I can actually believe what God is telling me and that he's not going to allow me to be arrested as a murderer and that the Pharaoh's not going to have me killed as soon as I say, hey, you need to let the people go. And Moses has to, okay, am I going to believe him or not? Is this really happening or what's going on here? Am I going to put my faith in God? In other words, am I going to start a relationship with God? And so this is his crisis of faith. And so here's what I want to do this morning. Moses is probably like a lot of us, including myself, I know this morning. I would be a lot like Moses in the early backstory days. And when God asks us to do something, we kind of go, "Uh, did I hear that right? (laughs) Because that sounded kind of crazy. You wanted me to go talk to them and, and invite them to church? <laughs> really? I just work with them. Like, we just work together. It's fine. Let's keep it that way. Right? And we argue with God. We kind of come up with excuses and we have things. Well, guess what? The reason God puts giants of faith in the Bible, he doesn't just tell us about the greatness of them. He also gets, he lets us in the window of their soul into their weaknesses. And guess what? We're going to talk about Moses' excuses today. Isn't that going to be great? And we're going to get four barriers because his excuses bring out four barriers that I think all of us, and I know I've got these. I know I've had these at one time or another. Sometimes they come back for me too. There are four barriers that hold us back from really allowing God to work in our life. We kind of close him off a little bit. Maybe we let him come to the door, but we don't open it. And so it keeps us at a distance from God. And this is Moses. Moses is not ready to accept this mission, and so he's going to start to protest against God. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to go through these protests that Moses gives to God, and we're going to talk about what barriers are. All right, the first one, Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. This is just after God has told Moses, hey, this is what I've called you to do. You're the only guy to do this. And Moses is going, uh, no way. And so he starts his protests. Uh, Exodus three eleven. But Moses protested to God. <laughs> Here's his first excuse. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? This is the first barrier that we have that keeps us from accepting true faith in God. Barrier number one, feeling unworthy. A lot of us, if we were to admit it, we don't like to admit this because it makes us sound weak. It makes us look weak. But if we were to really ask, a lot of us feel unworthy. We feel unworthy for God. We feel unworthy to ever be even talked to with God or that God would ever even notice us. We feel unworthy with anybody, people on earth. We don't feel worth at all. We don't feel like we're worth much. We, we might feel like we're worth a little something because deep down, I think most of us realize we do have value. But a lot of us, we feel shame about how we have lived our past life or we feel shame about how we're currently living our life. Isn't that true? That how, what our current actions are or what our past actions or both keep us, they hold us back, they make us feel shame. And as a result, we don't show up to church because it makes us feel ashamed. 
We don't like it. We don't feel like we're worthy of God. And this is what Moses is talking about. He's saying, who am I, God? I, I mean, you're asking me? We've, we're just starting a relationship here. Like, this is the first time we've really interacted and done this thing. And like, this is a burning bush. This is new for me, God. <laughs> and who are you? I mean, why are you asking me? Are you kidding me right now? And sometimes I think one of the barriers to our faith in life is that we allow our past sins, our past life, or our current way of life to kind of get in the way of how we think about God or what we believe or what we're going to allow God to do in us or through us. And this is where Moses was. But let me tell you a truth this morning. And this is really important because some of you, this is your barrier. You may not admit it. You may not have ever admitted it to anybody, but this is your barrier. Let me tell you that God has created every single person on this planet with worth and value, regardless of whether you think it or not. The question is, will you open your heart to God and allow God to show you the true value that he already gave you? It's already there. It's whether or not we see it. Moses had not been seeing it. He felt unworthy. And God says, trust me, Moses, I see more in you. I created you for a lot of reasons, and this is a big one. You're going to free the entire nation of Israel, Moses. And he's like, "Uh, no, I'm not. (laughs) I can't do it. And you and I, we do the same thing, don't we? We're like, God, I, I can't do that. I'm not worthy. So that's the first barrier. Second barrier. Moses goes on. He protests again. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? It's a good question. But what is Moses really saying with that question? What is he really saying? Is he really wanting to just know God's name? Yes, a little bit. But there's something deeper there. It brings us to our second barrier. Barrier number two, we need to know more. God asks something of us and we say, oh, God, thank you. That's a great ask. Um, but, but, you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't figured it all out yet. Um, God, I, I need some more God classes uh, before I do that. You know, before I invite somebody to church, I, I, need, I need a few more God classes, right? God 101 and 102. I've really only got like God 50.5. You know, I'm not there yet, Lord. Um, and, and so we kind of do this. And Moses is like, I, by the way, I, I don't even know your name. What should I call you? Because I see a burning bush, you know? I, I'm just not sure. What's your name? What Moses is really saying is, I don't have enough knowledge to do what you're asking me to do. This is a big one. This is a big one. I have people say this all the time, like, oh, I felt like maybe I should call them or, or, or go visit them or, or pray with them. And they feel like maybe the pastor should do that. And I say, the pastor can do that, should do that many times, absolutely. But you know what should happen far more often? Is you guys are just as much pastors as I am. Did you know that? In fact, the Bible declares this, that we are a priesthood if we have Christ at the center of our life. It says that we are a priesthood. It means that we are, God has put within all of you here, the ability, the skills, the drive, the passion, all the things that you need to help the people who are around you. In fact, 
You've heard me say this before. There are a lot of times that the people that you have ended up in relationship with, God perhaps orchestrated some of that because you are the person to help them see the truth about Jesus. It's not just because, you know, we end up moving next to them. It might be because God says, you are the perfect person to reach that person. They need the help. And you are the perfect person, the perfect match for that person to help them. And Moses is saying, but I, God, I, I don't even know your name. <laughs> I don't have enough knowledge. Like, there's surely somebody who went to college for this, <laughs> right? I mean, come on. <laughs> they have a theology degree or something. They can go, you know, whip all those theological terms out for Pharaoh and be like, you know, thou shalt do this and not do this. And, you know, I'm sure God. And, and God says, no, you're the guy. Even though you don't think you have enough knowledge, you're the guy. And sometimes we push God away because we say, God, uh, I don't know anything about the Bible. I've never even opened that thing. God says, fine, we'll start there. We'll get you to open it, but let's start with this. Trust me. I will give you the answers you need. Barry number three. He makes another protest. 4.1, Exodus 4.1. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? In other words, what if they call me a liar? That's what he's saying without saying exactly that. What if they call me a liar, though, God? Barrier number three. This is a big one. Barrier number three is fear of people. Fear of people. In other words, what Moses is saying to God is he's saying, listen, what are they going to think about me when I say, um, God talked to me from a uh, bush and it was burning, but it didn't actually burn. It was, it was, it was crazy. And they, I'm sure people are just be like, oh, well, that's awesome. Let's sit down and listen to Moses. Or are they going to lock him up? You know, be like, oh, my goodness, that guy's crazy. You know, get him out of here. Moses is worried about this. He's worried about what people are going to think or say or do. And isn't it true that when it comes to things of God, when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to this book, when it comes to the name of Jesus, when it comes to going to church on a Sunday, the, the truth is that a lot of times we are okay as long as they don't see us walking in here. I'm good showing up to the village center as long as my friends don't see me going. I'm okay as long as they don't see what I'm doing or what I truly believe. I'm okay with that. And because we worry a lot about what people will think, say, or do when they find out. We worry about that, don't they? Trust me, I worry about that. I, I can honestly say, I will confess to you, that I worry about this probably more than maybe what you realize. I mean, I have to tell people that I'm a pastor and all the time, and usually that's where the... I've told you before, that's where the conversation gets awkward. Because everybody's like, oh, oh, really? Oh, good for you. That's what you usually get. I get, good for you. Like... Great. Pastor. Oh, really? You so you believe in God and stuff, huh? Oh. Well, uh, you know, I've got to go. Look at the time. You know? I mean, you can just see it like, okay, I'm looking for a way out now because this is a pastor. Whoo! Got to go. Right? And we were just talking about football or something else. I mean, I see this. And so what I know is this is because we Fear, we worry about what people think when they find out that we believe in Jesus. 
And Moses is like, you know, I'm, I'm good. And now you're asking me to step out and proclaim in front of the entire Pharaoh's court that I believe in you and that you're going to free the Israelites and that they need to let them go. I'm supposed to say this in front of the thousands of people in Pharaoh's court. Are you kidding me, God? What are they going to say? And by the way, he's not even starting to worry about that. He's starting to worry about the Hebrews, the ones who believe in God. He's like, what are they going to say? This is a barrier. This is a huge barrier. It makes us hide this from other people. It makes us not pray in restaurants in public. It makes us not bring up the name of God or, or if somebody shares something that they're going through, we know we should probably say, oh, you know, I have this church. You should come with me sometime. I think it would maybe just help because you're going through some tough times. But we hold back because we're like, I don't know. They might make fun of me if I do that. Or they might laugh at me or they might say, what are you doing pushing that on me? And we worry about it, don't we? That's what Moses is saying. He was worried about it. He feared people instead of God. And his excuse showed that. Last protest from God. Actually, he had one more, but one more barrier. Yeah, he had a few excuses. <laughs> God started to wane in his patience for Moses. I can tell you in this conversation. Exodus 4.10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Can you tell he's getting desperate? Oh, Lord, I am not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Now, we don't know if Moses was truly like had a speech impediment or if he just didn't speak well and he couldn't form thoughts, you know, really fast. Or We don't know why he said this, but what this brings up is the fourth barrier. And the, this is another big one. Barrier number four are practical problems. Practical problems. These are things in our life that we've either put into place in our lives or realities in our life that we see as holding us back, that, that disqualify us from being able to serve God. Let me just throw some things out there, some practical problems that we tend to have in this time in history. Too busy. That would be one huge practical problem between us and God all the time. Hear that constantly. Oh, yeah, you know, you know, I just wanted you to, we, we're ready. Uh, I think we'd like to serve. We'd like to, you know, help out at church and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we're really, we're just really busy. You know, we have, we have our kids, they're in sports and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I, busyness is a practical problem between us and God. It's a barrier. There are other things like uh, 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 the ways that we think or the, the, the things that we do. It could go back to the lack of knowledge. It, it could be maybe um, how we were raised in a certain family or in a church could become a practical problem. You say, well, well th- there was these, there's these problems or, or maybe it's our job. Maybe our job gets in the way. We say, well, you know, you have to understand my job, it consumes a lot of time. Uh, it's very stressful. I can't imagine any of you have stressful jobs, so I'm sure... You're probably like, you, you get up on Monday morning at 5 just because you can start your day earlier, right? I mean, you're ready to go, right? No, we know that that's not the case because so many people are just like, oh, Monday. Our jobs are stressful. They consume tons of energy, tons of stress, tons of time. And we allow that to become a practical barrier between us and God. This is what Moses was saying. He just happened to use uh, a speech impediment or, or the fact that he couldn't speak well. He's like, I'm going to talk to Pharaoh. I don't even use my words really well. 
And God's like, are you kidding me? You're, pull, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel now, Moses. <laughs> You've done, this is your fourth one. And Moses, by the way, <laughs> he should have noticed God was starting to wane in his patience because then he has one more protest. And it's not another barrier. It combines all the barriers together. Get, get this. This is amazing that even Moses said this out loud to God. Exodus 4.13. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. That's it. <laughs> like, what that, what that means is, Moses ran out of ideas. <laughs> and that's what that means. I mean, this is what, the, the Bible is awesome. It's hilarious sometimes. Because Moses is a real guy. I mean, he's going, okay, God, the deal is, I just don't want to go. <laughs> uh, please don't send me. <laughs> That's what I've been trying to say. <laughs> when, I, when I said my kid had a soccer game, what I meant was, I just don't want to do it, right? And that's, that's, what Moses, that's where Moses is at. He's like, no, really, I, I just didn't want to do it. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say to you, God. And he, and he does this, and you get the sense that he's pleading with God to, to really just take him out of this, this mission that God has asked him to join and to get involved in. Well, fast forward, and we're not going to have time to get into the rest of the story because the rest of the story literally doesn't go just a few chapters. It goes two more books of the Bible long. Okay, So you can thank me later for not reading through all of that this morning. All right, But Moses goes on, and he finally does. God helps him out, gives him the strength, and Moses accepts a relationship with God. And, and he puts his faith in him, and he goes to Egypt, and he challenges the Pharaoh. And he ends up through a whole bunch of miracles that God works through Moses. And by the way, Moses, we have the recording, Moses is the one that generally speaks to Pharaoh. His brother Aaron came so that God kind of gave him Aaron so that he could help him speak. But what we see is Moses spoke most of the time. So he obviously got over that. And he goes and he challenges Pharaoh and he says, you need to let the people go. And there's plagues and there's a parting of the Red Sea. And eventually it comes down to he leads between 600,000 to a million people out of Egypt into the desert on their way to a land that God had promised for them. Pretty amazing. Coming from this guy that's like, God, please no. I don't want to do this. So I have two key takeaways for you this morning. Two really important takeaways from Moses' life, from this part of Moses' life, his excuses that he gave. The barriers are practical, but these are two very key takeaways that summarize this whole thing. If you want to just stake it on this. And this first one is a really big one. And you've heard me talk about it before. But the first one is, from Moses' life, redemption is always possible. This is something that we say we believe in, but we don't believe in in here. We say we believe in forgiveness, but we don't actually believe it here. We say redemption is definitely possible, but we don't actually believe it. And I'm telling you that the Bible is very clear that redemption is always possible. Think about Moses. Do you remember the beginning of the story when I told you at the beginning? Do you remember that Moses had a passion to free the Israelites from slavery? Did you notice that? God put that desire in him when he was born, when he was a baby. God placed within Moses the desire to free his people from slavery. The problem with Moses was, remember at the beginning of the story, how did he try to do it? He tried to do it under his own power, under his own authority, under his own timing, with his own thinking, his own rationale, and his own beliefs. 
And what ended up happening? He ended up killing a guy and having to be claimed, laid, laid down as a murderer, and he had to run from the life he had ever known. That's the only thing that happened. He didn't free anybody. In fact, he ended up being more in bondage to his life and to the things, his own choices, than anything. And God said, no, I have the desire in you, Moses, and you started to do it, but you did it under your own power. You did it in your own way and in your own timing. No, no, no. And now God comes back around and he says, you know what? We're going to redeem this. We're going to redeem your murder. We're going to redeem what you really thought you were going to do. Now you're going to do this, but you're going to do it with my power. You're going to do it in my timing. And you're going to do it in the way that's going to free everybody without having to do all this other stuff. And so Moses, we have to understand that redemption is always possible. This is why this is important. No matter what you've done in your life, no matter what you haven't done in your life, no matter how good you've been or how bad you've been, no matter whether you've believed in God for 70, 80, 90 years, or you've just believed, or maybe you don't believe at all yet, No matter what, no matter what your background is, your past is, I need you to know, and God needs you to know, and wants you to know, that redemption is always possible. Isn't that great? Isn't that huge? No matter what, you can actually go from here and move past it, and redemption is possible. Moses was a murderer. He killed somebody. I don't know about you, but we are not good at forgiving people for that in this culture, right? And I'm not, I'm not saying anything against justice. We should have justice, absolutely. But what God is saying is, I can redeem anything. Anyone, I can redeem them. Because I've placed within them a value, a worth that they don't even realize. I want to read something that was said about Moses, and we know how far this was. He went from having no faith at all to having the greatest faith that has ever been recorded. Because this is what it says about Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10. This is the very end of his story. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses had this relationship with God that I think really when we all think about it deep down, we want. We want that personal, close relationship, face-to-face relationship with God. Moses had that. But the only reason he had it is because he finally got past those excuses and those barriers. And he accepted God. So that's the first takeaway. Redemption is always possible. The second one is this. Very simple, and it relates to everything we just talked about. Lose the barriers. Lose the barriers. I don't know what the barrier is. Maybe one of those barriers like hit home to you. Maybe all four of them did. I can tell you that I had uh, memories of these barriers that have all come up in my life, in my faith. I know that. There are still some of these that every now and then they come back up. I already told you about a little bit of fear of people. Sometimes I fear even letting them know who I am because I know what it leads to. I've been made fun of for my faith, to my face. I've been laughed at. People have literally in a group laughed. I was the only one there that believed in Jesus, the only one that believed in God, and they've laughed at me. 
Okay? So don't tell me that I don't understand. I do. And so here's the deal. If we're going to get real with God, we need to lose the excuses. Don't we? We do. We've got to get rid of them. Whatever excuse you have, oh, well, that's offensive in our culture now. We can't talk about God. Uh, Done. Done with that. Okay? I'm not saying, I don't go over to preach at people. I'm like, I don't find find people on the street and be like, hey, do you know Jesus? Because you need to. I don't even know your name. I know, but you need to anyway. Should we pray? Let's get this thing right. I'm not saying doing that. It's crazy. In fact, please don't do that. Unless God tells you, go talk to that person. They need to know Jesus. I mean, if they clear, if it's clear, then sure, you should do that. But, but most of the time, God wants you to you know, find out who they are, get to know them. They're in relationship. And by the way, the people that you're going to lead to Jesus, lead to Christ, most of the time, most of the time, not all the time, most of the time, you are already in relationship with them. They're already in your family. They're already friends of yours. They're already in your neighborhood. You probably bumped into them trick-or-treating last night. I mean, that's the truth. But the key is we need to lose the barriers. We need to get rid of the excuses. They need to be gone. We need to stop making them. When God puts that ask out on us, we need to say, okay, I am not comfortable with this, but let's go. Let's do this. I trust you. And we need to stake our faith. We need to place it squarely onto God, onto Jesus and the faith in Him. Lose the barriers. Find redemption. You see how that works? Lose the barriers and find redemption. Let's pray. God, I thank You for Difficult truth that you give to us, but I thank you for the fact that redemption is always possible. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for loving us. God, thank you for the fact that that no matter what we do, you always love us. We can't do anything that gets out of your love. I thank you for that. Because God, I know, for me personally, I've done a lot of things to get out of your love. And I'm just so thankful that you have demonstrated your love again and again and again and again and again to me. And I just pray that for all of us here, that we'd be able to realize that, to know that, that you love us, that you want to redeem. Regardless of whether we've lived the best life or a life that we feel shame for, that God, you can redeem it no matter what it is. Help us to get rid of the excuses, God, and find redemption. Find redemption, God. Help us to find redemption. And help us to lead others, as a result, into redemption. (laughs) Thank you, God. We love you, Jesus. pray this in your name. Uh, I didn't mention this part in the Moses story, but in the Moses story, Moses says, who are you? Remember that part when he says, what's your name? And Jesus, God says, I am that I am. In other words, I don't really have a name. I am like it. I am everything. 
If you think of anything good, love, peace, joy, unbelievable, like the, the best thing you can ever think of, I am all of that. I am the I am. I am the great I am. You don't get past that. Like you go, well, how do you, yeah, you can't describe God. I am that I am. So we're going to sing that song, The Great I Am. Because I think it's one of the greatest songs written ever, but certainly in recent. But I want us to worship God who is in face-to-face with Moses. And I pray that as we do this, that we just recommit our life to him. Or maybe you want to commit your life for the first time to him. Or maybe you just want to say, God, I'm going to get rid of the excuses today. I'm going to start shoving them out, and I'm done with them. So let's stand and let's worship him, and let's make some of those commitments. Thank you.